Hello and welcome to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan and Ben is beside me. So far away that we recorded this podcast two weeks ago, but it took audio so long to transmit for us to put it down. It, you would think that I moved back to Ohio. Ben, how you doing, big guy? We got to try and like see away on this. Remember when we started the new year and we were like, we're going to be a better podcast. Oh no, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, we're trash. We're trash. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm doing pretty good. um, Considering, I mean, it's like, I think as of right now, it's like five degrees in Ohio. um, Oh yeah, man. Which I could, it's getting cold here too. I could do without. Right. I mean. (laughs) I think that it's supposed to get down to like negative twenty three wind chill. Oh really? Holy yeah. cow! I know. I think the high for tomorrow, just ambient air temperature, is like negative five. That's the high for tomorrow. Oh, it's like it's like when your nose hairs get frozen the instant you breathe in and walk outside. Yes, yes, and I. Uh, it was not too bad when I went into work this morning, um, and so I left my. I was just wearing like a heavy sweatshirt and I had my like Carhartt coat in the truck and cause I let the truck warm up before I went out and got in and you know, didn't really think much of it. Well, I got out of work today and it had dropped like 20 degrees throughout the day Ugh. and Ugh. I went back outside and I'm like, wow, I really wish I took my winter coat inside. So it was, I couldn't even put it on cause it was like <laughs> the same temperature as outside, you know? I know. Right. Right. It's just the same temperature <laughs> as everything else. Oh my was, gosh. Well, it's it was chilly. <laughs> Right. It's good to be back. Good to see you. Good to talk. It's been way too long. I know we were missing each other. We were having yearning problems, crying each other, uh, crying about each other uh, to sleep. It w- it's been insane. It's good to be back, though. I thought um, we weren't going to talk about that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> work has just been crazy, especially on Ben's side. But it's all right. We're back together. And Young Nostalgia is carrying on. So... Today we're bringing to you another Then and Now in a long, episodic break of the Then and Now series. But this is Then and Now Volume 6. So usually in Then and Nows, we have uh, multiple people that we talk about. But this person has such a large Then and Now that they have to have a dedicated show to themselves. And this is just their music career. This isn't personal life. This isn't anything in between. It's music and it's so expansive and so detailed and legendary that it can only have its own show. That's right, folks. We're talking about the one and only, the piano man, Billy Joel. We're going to be talking about his early music career all the way up through his late and current music career. Um, And it's going to be kind of a blast to talk about. Billy Joel has been a big fan of both Ben and I's. We love his sound. We love his his style. Um, It's going to be exciting to kind of talk about him and throw in our two cents with uh, how it all goes. And we can't like iterate enough how, um, how much we had to cut, how much we had to cut out. A lot of people we talk about then and now is it's like, oh, we can talk about their career, a little bit about personal life, you know, just kind of bounce back and forth. It's like, no, we pretty much had to narrow it down to just his career. And even then we had to weed through a lot of stuff and just try to hit the high points because there is, I mean, Billy Joel is one of the few people who, never took really any hiatus from um, recording and or performing. You know, some people will be popular in their time and then some time will pass by and then they'll become repopular again. And no, Billy Joel has just been fantastic 
from the very beginning. Just fi- always out there, always in the public. Right. Wikipedia was trying to tell us when he gained 50 pounds. It's like, no, we don't care about that. We only care that he recorded <laughs> that he recorded music. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's kick this off just because there's a lot to cover. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll kick us off with the then. A quick little blurb about him. He was born William Martin Joel on May 9th, 1949 in the Bronx, New York City, New York. Um, uh, do you want the first bullet point? Nope. Take it away. All right, man. So Billy Joel gained a lot of his influence for his music and his style from the Bronx as well as growing up in Long Island. So just kind of the culture and the area he lived in in New York really brought um, to surface the kind of music that he wanted to bring to other people. So Joel gravitated towards structured pop with large ideas coming from groups like the Beatles, the Drifters, and the Four Seasons. But it was actually ultimately the Beatles' performance on the Ed Sullivan show that solidified uh, Billy Joel's decision to actually pursue music as a career. So literally just seeing the Beatles perform and the energy and style they had solidified in Billy Joel's mind that I need to do music for the rest of my life. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to, um, you know, pop music throughout the seventies and eighties. It was right there. Billy Joel decided what he wanted to do. You know, Aside from uh, just being an influence on the beginning of Billy Joel's music career, that uh, I'm kind of look at that as the Ed Sullivan Show not only being a jumping point for whoever he has on the show. Uh, you know, the, that's where a lot of people you're really not somebody until you've been on Ed Sullivan. Right. You know, that carries over even into people observing the Ed Sullivan. They watch the Ed Sullivan show and become inspired, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And crazy, crazy <laughs> to think about. It was such, it was such, the, the Ed Sullivan show was what people got around the TV for during the day, during the week, like the weeks. Right, right. And so how many, how many other people, uh, maybe not necessarily during then and now is because we've only done six, but uh, we've talked about <laughs> this month in music histories. Uh, you know, we'll have this date. This group was on the Ed Sullivan show, and we're always talking about that. And now it comes all the way back around to, you know, Billy Joel watching the Ed Sullivan show, and that's what, you know, that's what really made him uh, buckle down and get serious. Right. Crazy. All right, man. Your turn. All right. So <laughs> we'll kind of talk about it a little bit later. There's kind of a funny side story in there, um, but. Joel ended up dropping out of high school, um, and in instead of pursuing an academic career, he uh, went around with small stints in bands uh, called the Hustles and At- Atelia. Uh, Joel joined the Hassles. Excuse me, the Hassles. I think I said the Hustles. That's incorrect. <laughs> Joel joined. I wasn't the- going to say anything. <laughs> um. Joel joined the Hustles in 1967. <laughs> you did it again. Did I say it again? Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> Joel joined the Hassles in 1967 where they would release four singles and two albums. Um but they were all commercial failures. Um <laughs> which is kind of a bummer. Um he's only in there uh with those guys for about 2 years. Uh, Billy Joel left the group in 1969 with the drummer to form the duo Attila. The group released an album, but 
separated when Joel was having an affair with his partner's wife. Um, yes, and this will also come up <laughs> later on to kind of feed into a little bit more of his personal stuff, but a lot of stuff that kind of fed into who Billy Joel is a person. I mean, he's ultimately come out and said certain things about you know him working through depression and right. um, him with this affair definitely put him in a downward spiral. You know, it just seems like it seems like a lot of times relationships between friends in music groups tend to be a little bit fragile anyway, just because of uh, the atmosphere right. in a setting like that. And, you know, that's that I mean, that's got to add a whole nother facet to it. Um, you know, I mean, that would that's a, a rough thing for either side of the situation under normal everyday circumstances, let alone already such a fragile um, a fragile friendship, you know, in a music group, right? <laughs> and they have to come into the office and 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 play music together every day, <laughs> right? Uh, that would be that would yeah. be rough, terrible, <laughs> terrible. Joel would then sign a record deal with Family Productions in 1971 to kick off his solo career, in which he recorded Cold Spring Harbor. So this first solo album would go on to be mastered at the wrong speed and ultimately resulted in a failure because they mastered it completely wrong and it sounded like trash. But, <laughs> like, wouldn't you think the production manager or whoever, they're getting paid to master records and then they just completely botch it? Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about it before we started. I was thinking about it after we talked about it the other day. Um, isn't there someone that sits there and does like a final listen through to make sure it's all good to go? Usually, I mean, whether it's you, actually Billy Joel. Was, or, yeah, I was about to say Billy Joel or somebody. And I think this actually played a key part in how Billy Joel recorded things in the future, where he wasn't afraid to say, I don't like that. I'm going to do it anyway, like the way I want to do it. If right. it didn't turn out the right way that the company wanted it to, he said, screw it. I'm going to do it the way I want to. Right. Which, you know, I mean, that's one of those things where you look back on past experiences and it's like, well, I was kind of burned once on it. Um, right. I don't know. I, I just can't. I can't imagine you know someone just if it was that horrible someone didn't catch it like you know it's like uh in college do you ever turn in a paper without reading through it first you yeah know i mean like i, I that's kind of what i was <laughs> uh uh comparing it to it just kind of cracked me up when i was thinking about it <laughs> I, that's funny it's funny that you say that because based on how you and i went through college and you ask, do you ever just read a paper before you turn it in? <laughs> okay, well, I was I was trying to make it relatable to someone who does the correct things. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're the one percenters. Um, yeah. <laughs> Billy Joel would actually go on to tour for the album opening for Jay Giles' band, The Beach Boys, and Badfinger. So not necessarily a commercial success for the music itself, but he was able to actually get his, his face on the stage in front of people to kind of hear his music. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's a looking at it from a historical standpoint. I mean, that's a way more reliable uh, way of getting your foot in the door. You know, way, there's consistently more people who slowly work up doing stuff like that rather than just hitting, uh, you know, hits right off the bat, hit after hit. That, that right. just is you know, even for someone like Billy Joel, that's you know, it's chances are slim to none better right. off to work your way up <laughs> um 
Joel would then garner small successes off of his live performances, and that landed him a contract with Columbia after leaked recordings of Captain Jack were played on the radio. So, along with this, Joel moved to Los Angeles and held a job with the Executive Room Piano Bar, uh, which inspired the hit Piano Man. Joel's first album under the new label was widely successful Piano Man. Wow, words are hard today. Excuse me. (laughs) Widely successful Piano Man in 1973, the title track became his signature song, ending out most every concert and landing him his uh, nickname. I love it. What a great album. I love it. I even love like the cover art of that album. It's amazing. Just mm-hmm. all in all, a great a great album because it shows multiple facets and sides of, of Billy Joel's music. A lot of times his sound changed. A lot from album to album, but Piano Man kind of encompassed a lot of what we'll see in the future and kind of sound that he had. Right, and it's it's a and and that's that must be a common belief, obviously, just because I mean there you still see uh, Piano Man out there. You still see the album artwork out there. Um, obviously, the name has stuck ever since 1973. Um, right. You know, that's something that's stuck with him forever. And that's even when he does performances. I mean, Piano Man is still like a, a huge success with the crowd, always. Right. Like, so you know how there's always songs, no matter what, they come on the radio. 95 to 98% of people know every single word and how it goes. I feel I feel like a lot of times people overlook Piano Man. Like the first mm-hmm. ones they go to are always Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen or Don't Stop Believing by Journey. But Piano Man, I feel like, is just as equal as all of them. Because every time it comes on, you know instantly who it is, you know instantly what song it is, and you know instantly how to sing it. I love right. it. And that that's even for people who aren't even Billy Joel fans. You could be the right. most ardent Billy Joel, anti-Billy Joel person ever. But you still know the tune and the words to Piano Man. Right, right. You just like, don't do. pretend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, come on, be real. <laughs> Beginning in the mid to late 1970s, he would continue to produce music with the label Columbia. Street Life Serenade was subsequently released in 1974 with the hit The Entertainer and Rupia Rag, both amazing songs as well. In 1975, Joel moved back to New York and was inspired to record Turnstiles, which holds songs such as Say Goodbye to Hollywood and New York State of Mind, which is a huge popular one uh, that a lot of people think of um, relating to Billy Joel as well. Mm -hmm. So from there, Billy Joel recorded the album first with members from Elton John's group, actually. Uh, He recorded Turnstiles, but then this is kind of where I was talking about how him being ripped on um, the Cold Harbor mastering, he kind of said, hey, he was dissatisfied with the recording, so he actually just re-recorded it and produced the album himself. So he was dissatisfied dissatisfied with Elton John's group groupies and uh, just said, screw it, I'm scrapping it and doing it, do, doing it again. <laughs> Which is amazing just, just in that because, you know, Elton John, I mean, he's kind of another side of the same coin to where everything he does is just fantastic. Right. And everything he touches is gold. For someone to take something that has any relation at all to Elton John, whether, he, you know, any sort of his involvement, and be like, nah, 
you know, I think I'm going to do it different. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty gutsy. And right. obviously Billy Joel is the guy to make that happen and make it and deviate from uh you know, anything Elton John related and then still make it successful. You know, I mean, right. he's the guy to make that kind of thing happen, but that's what struck me as kind of odd about that cuz it's like, you know, Elton John an, an already established name you know that's got to be like okay whatever you think is good you know that's what i'll put uh-huh. out and billy right. joel's it's like a- no nah, <laughs> not doing it Right, I'd be on my hands and knees kissing his his slippers. Um, but it, it's interesting because a lot of times you see Elton John and Billy Joel's name together on tour. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like Elton John is the huge, unforgettable name. I mean, everywhere. But yo, know, he hails from England. Right. But I feel like Billy Joel is the Elton John equivalent from America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like their names yeah. coincide so well together, and they're just so different but similar. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, they they're that's true. You know, the the more I think about it, the more they do because their songs are so. Uh, I don't know if personalized is the same word or is the, is the correct word. Um. They have such a unique sound all the time. They they're not known for doing uh, re-releases of other people's songs. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they have just a an enormous library of their own hits uh, that are so obviously their own. You know, I mean, somebody else can be uh, playing a Billy Joel song, and it's still it's still Billy Joel. You know, it's not yeah, like right, they're right. it's not like they're taking a song, doing their own <laughs> thing with it, um, and making it their own. It's it's still all Billy Joel, and, it, and that goes right. You know, the same thing for Elton John. Someone can do Elton John, and it's you know, it's it's still Elton John. It's someone trying to be Elton John, right? And you just can't. <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guy. All right, big guy. It's up. It's up to you now. Okay, uh, moving forward a little bit, we're gonna start kind of getting into a uh, a timeline kind of theme here. Nineteen seventy seven ish to nineteen seventy nine ish. The stranger would follow when Columbia introduced Joel and Phil Ramone. Notable songs are Just the Way You Are, Moving Out, one of my favorites, uh, Only the Good Die Young, probably tied for one of my favorites, and She's Always a Woman. This was Joel's first top 10 album and certified multi-platinum. God, an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's easily one of my favorite albums. I... I would have to say the favorite. I mean, it's got everything on it. You can't skip anything. Right. Um, also, around this time period, 52nd Street would follow in 1978 with high expectations and produce songs like My Life and Big Shot. The latter would be covered by Tony Bennett and then be featured on the sitcom Bosom Buddies that starred Tom Hanks in one of his earliest roles. The album won Grammy Awards for the best pop vocal performance for a male. I love it. You're absolutely right. Almost like everything from the 70s to mid to late 80s was just nonstop amazing music that you couldn't skip anything on an album. And it it just 
turned over hit versus hit versus hit versus hit. Not necessarily the whole album was perfect, but almost every album had something that defined Billy Joel as a musician that mm-hmm. everyone knows a song of Billy Joel that came from that album. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can be just, especially now with, you know, you got a zillion different albums on your phone or iPod or whatever, but you can be listening to one of these two albums and be like, okay, I'm going to switch to something new. You know, I'll just wait till this song's in. And then the next song starts like, oh my goodness, another fantastic one. And so you keep listening to it and like, <laughs> right, oh no, right. another great one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the album's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on, 1979 through 1983, Glass Houses was released in 1979, Songs in the Attic was released in 1980, and The Nylon Curtain would follow in 1983. So Glass Houses was used for Joel to prove that even after piano-driven ballads throughout The Stranger and 52nd Street, he wanted to prove that he could still be a rocker, um, which kind of you know stuck it to the man of his critics who were saying that he's kind of fallen into this whole ballad, piano-esque style. So songs mm-hmm. such as You May Be Right and it's still rock and roll came from that. And the Nylon Curtain produced sounds such as Allentown and Pressure. A very good album there as well. Good stuff. I, I should probably go through and, and, and say which albums I actually own. Because I <laughs> I own quite a bit of Billy Joel. Are you talking about, when you say album, do you mean like vinyl? Yeah. Yeah, what, okay. what, uh, what vinyl have. So I have Piano Man. I have Turnstiles. I have the stranger. I have glass houses, and I guess that's that's as far as we've gotten so far. Okay, I think I think I have piano man, but I think that would be that would be all that I would have, actually on vinyl, which is a problem because I need more. <laughs> yes, you do. So I have four. I have four albums so far. I I own a lot of Billy Joel. I love Billy Joel. I can't pass it up when I see an album of his that I don't have. You got to take it. <laughs> I need to step it up then. <laughs> okay. Uh, One, 19, oh, sorry. One side note about Songs oh. in the Attic that was released in 1980. That That's actually a compilation of live songs that he did. And that's what al- that album turned out to be. Oh, okay. Okay. I was not aware that that's all that it was. Yeah. Okay. 1983. Right, 19- Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. 88. Um, An Innocent Man, 1983, and The Bridge, 1986. Um, An Innocent Man brought a doo-wop style and features The Longest Time, uh, Leave a Tender Moment Alone, and Keeping the Faith. Uh, the Bridge saw that, songs... That album is just amazing yeah, all the way through. That's another good one. And that's kind of what like you talked a little bit about earlier, how every album has its own... Uh, has I don't want to say theme, but is every album is kind of a new facet to his musical interests. Like there's always oh, something yeah. different, you know. That's never the same stuff over and over, um, or even a mix right. up. Everything kind of has a general theme, and it's like, oh, I. It's kind of like he just sits down and thinks, oh, I'm into this today. I'm gonna start writing a bunch of songs in this style, and the next day it's, I'm gonna <laughs> right. start writing a bunch of songs in this style. Um, the bridge saw songs like a matter of trust and big man on mulberry street both good i i own Mm -hmm. both of those albums as well okay bumping it up to six then (laughs) yep yep. okay (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to count the percentage of how many i've gotten 
in terms of how many he released in the then period. Uh, finishing this up here, <laughs> 1983 through 1993. 1988 through 1993, Stormfront was released back in the 88, and River of Dreams was to follow. So Stormfront produced hit singles such as We Didn't Start the Fire and Leningrad. Um, River of Dreams, I couldn't really find too much on, or I just didn't care too much, so I just didn't put it in. (laughs) It could go either But I love Billy Joel. (laughs) (laughs) That's Hmm. funny. Okay, um, going uh, totally switching gears a little bit here. Um, it seems like I always get the more unfortunate stuff. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we, this is kind of a, a long-term thing that Billy Joel um, has dealt with in his life, and so that's kind of why it's fitting into the then section of the show. Uh, Joel has battled depression uh for most of his life. In 1970, a career downturn and personal problems, uh, such as the affair, aggravated his condition. Um, he At one point, he left a suicide note and attempted to end his life by drinking sh- furniture polish. Um, and then uh, after all of this, he was quoted in saying, uh, I drank furniture polish. It looked tastier than bleach, uh, which is... Uh, an odd thing to be thinking about um, if you're in that situation, but (laughs) I guess guess. I've never never been in that situation, so I guess I'm not one to judge. Uh, His drummer and bandmate, John Small, rushed him to the hospital. Um, He was subsequently checked into Meadowbrook Hospital where he was put on suicide watch and received treatment for depression. Um, after all of this, in 1971, Joel released his debut album, Cold Spring Harbor, including the track Tomorrow Is Today, related to this incident. Uh, Joel later recorded You're Only Human, Second Wind, as a message to help prevent teen suicide. And so this, this is something that he has had, had dealt with for a long time. Um, finally came to a head um, in 1970 and you know luckily it was an unsuccessful attempt um, and also you know it's it's fortunate that he could take something like that um, and turn around and do at least attempt to do some good in the world um, right with his uh, you know your your only human. Uh, in his attempt to to uh, help other individuals suffering from depression. Right, right. Um, All right. Moving forward a little bit, I, I'll just hit this real quick before we go into the now. I guess it's kind of in the now. Um, but in 2002, Joel ent- entered Silver Hill Hospital, a substance abuse and psychiatric center in New Canaan, Connecticut. Um in March of 2005, he checked into the Betty Ford Center where he spent 30 days for treatment of alcohol-related problems. So it's, it's that's kind of moving a little bit into the future, a little moving forward a little bit too far into the show. Um, but it does just kind of show that's something that he has definitely been dealing with his entire life. Right. You know, it's something that right. doesn't really ever go away. Right, right. 
Very good. All right. Well, let's go back and talk about the upturn when it comes to the now. So beginning back in 1994, Joel toured extensively with Elton John. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, on the series of face-to-face tours, making them the longest-running and most su- successful concert tandem in pop music history. A couple little side notes. The two played their own songs, each other's songs, as well as duets. So almost every single concert was a separate experience from the one before. In 2003, um, the tour grossed over $46 million in only just 24 sold-out dates. $46 million. That's, that's crazy. That's amazing. And broken down, that's just shy of $2 million per date. God. Which, that's mind-boggling. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I mean, I just can't. That That's amazing, you know. and you, But, you know, at, at the same time, it's... What we talked about before, it's Elton John and Billy Joel. Right. I can't think of, you know, a better duo of singer-songwriters than those two guys to pair up and tour together. Right. You know, I, I don't mean, that's think, Batman I don't and Robin think right they'd there. ever have, right, I don't think they'll ever have another show where it's not sold out. Like, no. they announce a date. Tickets are gone within half an hour. Oh yeah. Well, I uh, I will hit it here in a few minutes. But uh, there was a surprise show of just Billy Joel, and I can't remember exactly the circumstances, but it sold out within five minutes. Gosh, and it's that's just crazy. Stuff, yeah, you know, and it's it's uh, Billy Joel as well as Elton John, since we're kind of talking about them both right now. Um, you know, it's normally people, it's a big thing when somebody does sell out in general with these guys, it's like, it's odd when they don't like, it's a big deal when they don't sell out. Yeah. Right. Cause that never happens. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh. <laughs> it's just a given to be, have a sold out show. Right. Right. All right, moving forward a little bit. 1997's To Make You Feel My Love and Hey Girl both charted uh, from Joel's Greatest Hits Volume 3 album. Which is, I mean, getting to the point where it's a little bit, getting to the point where you start having Greatest Hits album, uh, excuse me, Greatest Hits albums, um, it's a little bit less exciting. I mean, I I love greatest hits albums because it's yeah. I mean, you're you're not weeding through, you know, songs that you don't like as much as others. I mean, it's just a they're always fantastic, but at the same yeah. time, it's a it it's a little less exciting than uh, brand new albums that always have new music to listen to. New, uh, you you get to experience less of a change in sound with the artist or the band or whoever it is and so that's right getting into that point of your career i mean it happens to everybody but it's that's always a little bit of a bummer but at the same time they're always that makes it a little bit easier to listen to i guess too if you depending on what medium you're listening to you don't have to worry about skipping or anything like that right right yep two different sides of the coin yep that's true 
Uh, you can take the next two if you want. Okay, I will. Joel wrote and recorded the song Shameless uh, that was later covered by Garth Brooks and reached number one on Billboard's country charts. Um, and then, kind of interesting, goes along with it, Joel later performed with Brooks uh, during his Central Park concert in 1997. So that's always kind of fun Beautiful. when someone takes uh, takes a song and kind of does their own thing with it, and then they end up kind of teaming up later on uh, for right. a performance. Yeah, I think it's cool to see the kind of mix of genres, too. Exactly, yeah. Um, and moving on to the next point, this is one that I, I really enjoyed. I, I'm really happy uh, about this one. Uh Inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999, and to make that even better, Ray Charles was the the person to make the induction speech and mentioned the duet Joel wrote for the two of them, Baby Grand, uh, which was a track on Joel's album The Bridge, released in 1986. Um, you know, that's such a a perfect person to be. Uh, introducing someone like Billy Joel. I mean, Ray Charles yeah. is, I mean, he's been one of the greats forever. Um, and for him to do the induction speech for someone like Billy Joel is just icing on the cake of the whole thing. Right. I love it. That's something you'll never forget ever. No, no. I mean, that's in a situation like this, that's the, that's the only way to have someone bigger than Billy Joel, you know, do the speech. Right. That's the right, only possible right. way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Billy Joel like can't, can't do his own speech. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. On December 31st, 1999, Joel performed at New York's Madison Square Garden. And at the time, Joel said that it would be his last tour and pass, and possibly his last concert. Two of his performances from the night, We Didn't Start the Fire and Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, were filmed and featured that night at as part of ABC's special New Year's Y2K coverage. Um, and the concert, dubbed The Night of the 2000 Years, ran for close to four hours and was later released as 2000 Years, The Millennium Concert on video. So crazy how I just feel like there's so many monumental things in history that Billy Joel somehow, one way or another, has his name tied to. And here he comes, reeling in the millennium, and he plays a four-hour concert in the middle middle of New York. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's Billy Joel could have been walking down the street and sneezed, and someone was recording it and be like, it's the sneeze of the millennium. Everything he does. Craftfully, look at how craftfully he wiped his nose afterwards. Yeah, everything he does just becomes monumental. Right, it's amazing. I love it. All right, man. All right. In 2003, Joel inducted the Righteous Brothers into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, noting that his song "Until the Night" from the album 52nd Street was a tribute to the duo, which is that's awesome. Is always pretty cool. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. On January 7th, 2006, Joel began a tour across the U.S. Having not having not written or at least released any new songs in 13 years, he featured a sampling of songs from throughout his career, including major hits as well as obscure tunes like Zanzibar and All Philena. 
His tour included an unprecedented 12 sold-out concerts over several months at Madison Square Garden in New York City. So 12 sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden in a row, every time. The singer's (laughs) stint of 12 shows at Madison Square Garden broke a previous record set by New Jersey native Bruce Springsteen, who played 10 sold-out shows at the same arena. So there, again, Billy Joel just gets on top. Like... You can tell how much music really lets him be who he wants to be. If you're able to perform year-round, almost, in these amazing, packed shows in a venue like that, that just shows how much music is a part of you. Yeah, and I've, I and I've all I've also heard that his shows are, they're so relaxed as well. Um, right. You know, it's not like he's going out there and it's it's super painfully obvious that it's over rehearsed and that sort of thing it's like he just kind of goes out there uh wearing whatever he wants to wear um he'll go out there and in between sets he'll be joking around and just so nonchalant um which is also there's just something about that that i like to see as well um i agree just kind of shows it you know that light-hearted attitude is refreshing to see it's not all not all serious you know right right i'm with you um lost my place on january 26th of 2008 joel performed with the philadelphia orchestra celebrating the 151st anniversary of the academy of music uh joel premiered his new classical piece titled waltz number two Steinwall Hall, Steinway Hall, excuse me, arranged by Brad Ellis. He also played many of his less well-known pieces with full orchestral backing arranged by Mr. Ellis, including the rarely performed Nylon Curtain songs, Scandinavian Skies, and Where's the Orchestra? And man, what a multifaceted career <laughs> in music, playing classical. I know, he'll go from piano ballads to rock and roll to doo-wop to full classical pieces right and only he can bridge he can he can he can make the bridge Uh to gap it all together Uh to put it all together (laughs) and you know does your your microphone smell like a beer (laughs) it probably does yeah (laughs) um and you know not only that, not only is he the guy that can bring all those together, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that Billy Joel could do all of those themes, put them all into one set in a concert and still have the crowd on its feet. Right. Oh, have, most guaranteed. Just have the goofiest combination for a set list <laughs> ever and he'd still bring down the house. He needs to open with the classical piece. Get people really hyped up. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty funny if you just went out and you know, would. messed with people who are expecting some, you know, set some of his seventies and eighties stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Joel's staying power as a touring act continues. 
to the present day. He sold out 10 concerts at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Uncasville, Connecticut from May to July 2008. The casino honored him with a banner displaying his name and the number 10 to hang in the arena. On June 19th of 2008, he played a concert at the grand reopening of Caesars Windsor, formerly Casino Windsor, in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, to an invite-only crowd for casino VIPs. Wow. Yeah. Fancy. That is creme de la creme right there. (laughs) Creme? (laughs) (laughs) that was great that was great that's the best commentary i've ever heard let's go on we can't i didn't know what i didn't know what else to say i'm glad it worked out (laughs) on july 16th 2008 and july 18th 2008 joel played his final concerts at shea stadium before its demolition i thought this was fantastic his guest At these two concerts included Tony Bennett, Don Henley, John Mayer, John Mellencamp, Steven Tyler, Roger Daltrey, Garth Brooks, and Paul McCartney. Oh my gosh. Can you I think the only the only person we're mit- missing is Elton John. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. How is Elton John not thrown into the mix? He was probably <laughs> doing something big somewhere else. Right, right. You know. But Gosh, that's crazy. Can you imagine going to either of those concerts, how awesome that would have been? Right. That would, oh, oh my goodness. Crazy. I don't, now, talk about the creme de la creme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's, that's it right there. <laughs> right, right. In October 2013, Joel held a surprise concert at Long Island at the Paramount, Huntington, New York, to benefit Long Island Cares. The venue holds a capacity of 1,555 and sold out in just five minutes. Five minutes since the the tickets were put on. Yeah, and and you know, it is a smaller venue, um, but just the fact that it's a surprise concert, you know, it wasn't scheduled months or even a year in advance it was kind of just popped up and you had to be watching pretty close to know what was going on and then it just bam sold out in five minutes right crazy i know that's amazing wow on december 3rd 2013 it was announced that joel would become a franchise of madison square garden playing one concert a month indefinitely, starting with a date of January 27th, 2014. That's crazy. It's just like having a residency in in uh, Las Vegas, but you're yeah. in the middle of New York. Like, <laughs> even how does, better. How does someone just, like, oh, we want you to play one concert a month forever? Well, just imagine how much, like, liability that is to Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? It's like, who knows how long these these shows will be sold for, but it's indefinitely so they know that people will come and see Billy Joel all the time. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been such a, a unfailing uh, artist for so long that it's, it's a no brainer to take that gamble. Right. You know, crazy. Uh, Billy that's Joel just, is never going to be not be is never not going to be popular. Right. Right. And and I mean that just that right there defines the 
the legacy of then for Billy Joel and the legacy now for Billy Joel. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. On June 24th of 2017, he returned to Hicksville High School 50 years after his would-be graduating class received their diplomas to deliver the honorary commencement address. It was also the 25th anniversary of receiving his own diploma from the same high school. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And when I first read through this, I thought I kind of chuckled a little bit just because it I read through it and then I paused for a minute or so just trying to realize what was going on because the math wasn't adding up there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and and then I realized, oh, yeah, he had dropped out and later ended up getting his diploma afterwards. But Right, um, right, 25 years later. Yeah, it, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize, you know, why it wasn't adding up. <laughs> <laughs> thought that was kind of funny. Um, so we just have a, a few just a couple points here about um, other career ventures that Joel has been uh, involved in. In 1996, Joel merged his life... Like, wow, excuse me. In 1996, <laughs> Joel merged his long-held love of boating with his desire for a second career. Um, with Long Island boating businessman Peter Needham, he formed the Long Island Boat Company. With which is a that's an interesting turn um you know it's an interesting career to just jump into um in addition to a music career <laughs> right i mean i mean if you think about it though billy joel has plenty of capital that no matter what business he starts it's never going out of business oh yeah oh yeah i mean he could <laughs> he could just funnel money into anything and it would it would never it would never go away just endless pockets right Right. <laughs> All right, go ahead and take the last one. All right. In November of 2010, Joel opened a shop in Oyster Bay, Long Island, to manufacture custom-made retro-styled motorcycles and accessories. I love it. I don't know if this is still going on, but if I could ever afford it, I think it would be pretty cool just to have this kind of piece. Yeah, and it it kind of goes with what I was talking about a minute ago about, all right, so music and boats, and now it's music, boats, and motorcycles you know (laughs) he's kind of got a a whole you know concoction of interest going on here Um, right right and he definitely gets around whether it be on sea or land oh yeah yeah you know and none of which none of any of these uh interest you know there's not a a whole lot of overlap um no you know it's not a uh you know it's not like an artist uh, getting involved with a uh, branding of their own instruments or something like that, which is would be relatively common. Uh, right. No, <laughs> that's kind of funny. No, it's really funny. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that rounds out Then and Now, Volume 6, all about Billy Joel. The only couple things we have left on the show notes or a few attractive pictures of Billy Joel's daughter, but he should not know about that. As always, thank you so much for joining us here on Young Nostalgia. We continue our journey through retro pop culture, and as we keep on giving you this wonderful content through beer-stained microphones, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, you'll find us there. Please give us a like and a share, as well as a five-star review and a comment down below. Tell us what you like about 
about it and what you like and want to keep on hearing. If you have any other specific ideas or want to let Ben and I know face-to-face that you hate us, you can email us at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com and we'll be sure to delete it. But other than that, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Ben, anything else, big guy? Um, you know, it's it, it was fun coming back. Um, we had, what was it, two weeks off, I think. It's just... It was extremely difficult to find in any sort of time to even think about the show. Um, right. But, you know, it's that's kind of a bummer. Um, but it feels good to be back recording again. A uh, little bit rusty, a little bit stuffy, and a little bit on the sick side. So that's, you know, unfortunate that, you know, try to make a comeback after a two-week hiatus and a little bit sound a little bit funny on the mic, but... But you look great. Oh, yeah. You know, listeners will, uh, you know, really be interested in that. We're really <laughs> taking advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia, keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.